You know, in the next few weeks, uh, we're going to look at what I consider one of the most incredible stories in the Bible. It's a story that takes us from the blues of Egypt to the new sounds of the promised land. And uh, it's going to move us from the depths of rock quarries to the pinnacle of power in a place called Egypt. A moment in history that ultimately becomes an epic moment in movement. And I think the story's got soul. I mean, one guy is willing to listen to God. One guy is willing to sing a little different tune, and he changes the whole rhythm of a nation. And this guy's Moses. I mean, he changed history. You don't even have to go to church to know that name. The, the story is legendary, and it all starts in Moses' hometown. Egypt. It was kind of the motor city. Motown. I mean, that's what people call that. And we're going to focus on Moses and how he made a difference. But what's interesting, if you take the lens and you begin to focus on Moses' life, it starts really, really early where he begins to make a difference. And this isn't the kind of thing that they write hit songs about. And, and you're probably not going to hear it or experience it on a CD or iTunes. But friends, this one's fundamental. Because the story of Moses really begins with baby love. It begins with his parents. You know, if, you, if I was to go around and ask you, what is it? that you want to do with your life. The majority of you would say, you know, I want to leave a legacy. I want to leave this world a better place than when I came into it. I want to be a difference maker. Moses was a difference maker. But what is sometimes overlooked, because Moses is so epic, is that Moses' parents were difference makers. And they had a baby love that made a difference. And in fact, I believe if they have not had that kind of love for him, we might not be talking today about him. You know, Moses' parents, uh, Amram, and Yachabed was his mom. And what I want to do is talk about the kind of baby love that made a difference in his life and the kind of baby love that as parents we ought to have for our kids. You know, we're going to spend a lot of time in the book of Exodus. Uh, I'd encourage you to, to read it along with uh, the scriptures we talked about last week of just reading through the Bible. But read through the book of Exodus. It's Genesis, Exodus, second book. It is Moses' autobiography. And I'm going to pick up in chapter 2. The scripture says this, Now a man of the house of Levi married a Levi woman. This is his mom and dad we're talking about. And she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. Moses is saying, let me tell you a little bit about my parents. He's pointing out that his mom and dad were Levites, which meant that they took care of the tabernacle. They they took care and ministered to the priests. But it also meant, I think this is really what he wanted us to catch, that they were Jewish. They were Hebrew. 
And this is really important at this time in history in Egypt. Because this is a tough time. This is not a good time for a Jewish couple to have a child. You know, Moses' parents didn't run around and tell everybody. They didn't have sonogram and go, look, look, we're expecting. Isn't it amazing? They, They didn't enroll in birthing classes. They didn't register at Baby Gap or Jamboree. And they definitely didn't pass out cigars and go, it's a boy. See, here's the deal. You rewind about 300 years. Children of Israel, the the Jewish people, they had migrated to Egypt because there was a famine in their hometown of Canaan. And at the time, Joseph, and this is Joseph, coat of many colors, he's the prime minister of Egypt. He's the great-grandson of Abraham. He's Jewish. Which meant, if you lived in Egypt at the time and you were Jewish, everything was fine. It was good. But through the years, administrations change. New pharaohs come to power. And finally, politically, things shift radically. And one of the administrations decides, you know what? We have way too many immigrants in this town. And they decide to make them slaves. Make slaves of the immigrants. And so, now, fast forward, Moses is born into this environment. Jewish people have been slaves for hundreds of years now. One day, Pharaoh's kind of touring the countryside, and he notices that there are just a lot of kids, little children running around, a lot of Jewish children. It's a baby boom. Israelites are exploding. He starts doing the math and thinking through it. And my guess is it was something like, wait a minute. There are a lot of Jewish children. And so he devises a pretty sinister plan. He says, you know what? I'm going to work them even harder. I'm going to make the labor so great that they won't even think about having children. They won't, they're won't. they just going to forget it and go, oh, it's too hard. And, and so he, he instructs the midwives, and this is where things get really dark. He says, when you go to help them in childbirth, if it's a baby boy, I want you to take that baby boy to the river and throw that baby in the Nile. Let it drown. Now, Thank goodness, the midwives feared God. And so they were like, they weren't going to do this. I'm going to guess a few months later, Pharaoh's out again, kind of checking things out. He knows there's still a lot of little boys running around. And so he summons the midwives, Scripture says, and he says, what's going on? There are baby boys everywhere. And the midwives claim that the Jewish women, that when they get word that they're about to give birth, as they're racing to the home, they can't get there quick enough. The, the women give birth, and they don't have a chance to grab the little boy and throw him in the water. Pharaoh buys the story, but he gets more paranoid. And so he sends out a decree, an executive order, and he says, anybody that sees a baby boy that is Jewish 
throw them in the water. Now things are tense. And this is the situation Moses gets born into. Scripture goes on, says she, it's talking about his, his mom, saw there was something special about him, that's Moses. Parents, do you realize that your children are special? I mean, do you really realize that they're gifts from God? They're fearfully, wonderfully made. They're one of a kind. That God's got a plan for their life. You know, I believe that God has given parents the responsibility of nurturing and molding them. That God picked you out of all the people in the world and says, you know what? This is your job to raise this child. And here's what blows my mind. It's the next line. She hid him for three months. Amazingly, these parents hide a newborn baby for three months. They're they're living in this little Hebrew shanty. They're along the river. Everything's echoing. Egyptian soldiers are in the streets. I mean, think about this. Can you imagine this? How many, how many new parents do we have? You've been, got a little baby. Can you imagine this? Going to keep it hidden. Don't want anybody to know. I mean, I, I kind of imagine little Moses, you know, his lip starts quivering. Oh, no, 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 no. Moses, Moses, Moses. Hush, little baby, don't say a word. You can't make a sound because you can't be heard. And I'm not sure how they did it. I mean, I've got grandkids. I'm really not sure how they did it. (laughs) But they did. And then the parents get really creative because they knew that something had to be done. I mean, Scripture tells us that Moses' parents realized that they couldn't hide him any longer, that he was just getting too big. And, And so... They, they devise a plan, and they design a little boat. They made it out of papyrus reeds, and, and they put Moses in this basket. They cover the basket, and they take it, and they place it in the water, near the water's edge, in some tall grass, Scripture says. And friends, they strategically picked the spot that they were going to place him because his parents knew, and mom knew, the Pharaoh's daughter, every afternoon, she would kind of sashay down to the River Nile to take her bath every day. And so what they did was they placed Moses there because they knew that. And just like clockwork, that's exactly what happened. I mean, can you picture it? Pharaoh's daughter, she's got this large entourage with her. She's got guards with her probably. And she arrives at the river's edge... And the parents had prayed. They saw something special in Moses. They hoped someone else would. And so they they prayed, and then they used a little bit of common sense here because they asked their oldest daughter, this Miriam, Moses' sister, they said, we want you to hide in the distance and to watch what happens. And so here you've got Miriam. She's probably hiding behind a tree or something. She's watching. She sees Pharaoh's daughter heading down to the river's edge. She spots the basket. She asks probably, 
one of her, her maids to go fetch the basket. And they bring it to her. And she uncovers the basket. And there's Moses. Scripture says when she opened it, she saw the child. And behold, the boy was crying. Imagine that, a baby crying. Read with me. And she had pity on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. That's such a maternal um, thought there. I mean, I I think it's a piece of what God's hardwired into us. There's just something about a baby, right? I mean, we are taken by babies. I see it all the time. It doesn't matter what they look like. I mean, let's be honest. Some babies look like little aliens sometimes. You know, they're all wrinkly. Their heads are too big for their body. But you know what? It does not matter. Every baby's off the charts. They're just beautiful. They're just beautiful. I think you could translate. It says, she had pity on him. This is my translation. Oh, isn't he cute? Look at Look at him. She figures out that he's Hebrew. I'm going to guess a couple things. One, she realizes she's surrounded by a little Hebrew town down by the the Jordan. She knew that the baby boys were to be thrown into the water, just wasn't supposed to be in a basket. And I'm going to guess maybe she looked and the features kind of gave him away. But she figures it out, and she sitting there adoring this child... Miriam, who's been hiding, she runs over to Pharaoh's daughter. Can I find you a nurse, someone to nurse him and take care of him? That'd be great. So Marion races home as fast as she can. She finds her mom, and she's, this is real mom now, and she says, they found him. Come on, follow me. And so mom rushes back to the scene. Scripture goes on and says, then Pharaoh's daughter says to her, this is Moses' real mom, take this child away and nurse him for me and I will pay you. And I go, wow God, at that point. I mean, isn't God amazing? Here we have Pharaoh's daughter going to pay her to take care of her own son in her own home. And I think, wow. And what we kind of miss in that day for uh, someone to, to nurse meant that they would care for that child till they were five years old. And I think about, you know, psychologists say that 90% of a child's personality is formed in the first three years. And so what did Moses' parents do with that little block of time that they had? Well, friends, they built into Moses a foundation of faith. A faith that ultimately changed the world. And I know as I say that, some of you are going, oh, come on, Damon. Three, four, five years old? You know, foundation of faith? Give me a break. No, that's what I mean. You know, in fact, I would, I would challenge you, parents, grandparents, to, to use those early years to build a foundation in your children. You know, to build that foundation before they have a heavy influence from the world. You know, to build the right stuff in their life. Moses' parents did that. I mean, they, they worked outside the home, both of them. We know that. 
They may be worked in the brickyard. They may have worked in the fields. They may have prepared food. Who knows? We don't know exactly what they did, but we do know this, that if you were Jewish and you lived in Egypt, you absolutely worked, and you worked hard, and you worked long. The women would always take the children with them to work, and so they had to work and make sure the kids stayed out of trouble. I mean, this is a tough, tough life that they're living. But they knew that they would only have Moses for five years. And they knew that they wanted to make the best of that time and instill in him things that really mattered, things that were going to make a difference. You know, baby love, I think, does several things. One, I think it models. It models. It models faith. For five years, Moses' parents model faith. You know, do you realize that, parents, grandparents? You are always modeling Some of you are going, oh, I'm a model. I didn't know that. You're a model. You are modeling 24-7. You're on the runway. You're striking a pose. And your kids are watching. You're doing this. And you know you're doing that. And your kids are watching you. You're modeling for them all the time. They're watching going, oh, look at mom. She's modeling. Look at daddy. He's a model. And here's my question. What are you modeling? What are you modeling? You know, the other day I was uh, sitting on the couch and uh, I was kicked back watching one of the football games. And I just said out loud, I I go, this is the life. My grandkids were with me. And uh, a few minutes later, I look over. Dason, he's three years old. And I'm kind of kicked back and in a pose. He gets in the same exact pose. And then he reaches over, he taps me, gets back in the pose. And he goes, this is my life, Grandpa. (laughs) He gives me that cheesy smile that he always gives me. Moses' parents were striking a pose. And they were modeling something for him called faith. You know, what are you modeling, Mom? What are you modeling, Dad? What are you modeling, Grandma, Grandpa? You know, what kind of language are you modeling? What kind of attitude are you modeling? What kind of love towards your spouse are you modeling? What kind of conflict resolution are you modeling? You are always modeling. You're on the big screen. Your kids see you in living color. And, and get this, it's not just little kids. It's big children. It's adult children. Get this. Your entire life, you are modeling for your children, and it does not stop until they put you in the grave and you leave this planet. You're modeling. Kids are taking pictures. Click. Wow. Click. Check that pose. Click. Unbelievable. Click. Uh oh. Click, click, click. Did you see that? Click. And they're taking pictures all the time and they're putting it in a permanent photo album in their mind. And what goes on is every once in a while they dig through those photos their entire life and they go, How did my parents model this or that? How did my mom model this? How did my dad deal with that? 
What kind of attitude? What kind of temperament? What kind of grace forgiveness? Friends, the best training ground for modeling your faith, it's not here at church. I mean, that's a good thing, but it's not here. It's in your home. That's where you model faith. It's not what you say, but it's what you do. And especially, especially during the early years, those formative years. You know, it's interesting, you read the story in Exodus, and it gives us details, a lot of details. But it doesn't give us names. The first six chapters, we do not get a name in there. We're not told his parents' names, his sister's name. So you read those first six chapters, and it's things like, she placed him in a basket. She set him among the reeds. His sister stood off at a distance and watched. And here, here's, this is just my thought. I think the reason the names are left out to that point is Moses wants us to get the fact that it's God's hand that's in the midst of all of it. He's emphasizing it's God at work, that it was God that gave his mom and dad the ability to model their faith. You know, how do I know they modeled their faith? Well, fast forward, Hebrews 11. This is kind of the uh, hall of fame for faith. It says, by faith, Moses' parents hid him for three years, or three months after he was born, because they saw that he was no ordinary child, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Faith. It takes faith, parents, doesn't it? It's hard sometimes. And what I'm about to say is going to hit hard. Someday, someday, whatever you model for your kids, whatever that is that you wear and they see, there's a really good chance that they're going to put on that same wardrobe. You're always modeling. Click, click. Click, 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 click. They're always watching. Select your wardrobe very, very carefully. Think about what am I modeling? You know, baby love, it marks. I mean, not only did Moses' parents model for him, but they marked him. You know, let, let me ask you, how do you feel about your kid putting on the same wardrobe that you were. Make you a little uncomfortable? Make you go, oh, I hope not. Or do you go, yeah, I hope they put on the same wardrobe. Verse 24, and this is following on the heels of the verse we just looked at. And it's really, you miss it here, but it points back to the first two words. In faith... Moses, when he had grown old, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Moses' parents marked him. They raised him until he was five. And then we hit this dreaded day where Moses has to move from that safe home environment that he had. Five years old. He moves from this little shanty 
to the palace. They had to give him to Pharaoh's daughter. Can, can you imagine? Think about this. Can you imagine this? Imagine what, what must have been going through their mind and their heart. You know, I, I guess I kind of picture them climbing the, the palace steps. Maybe a little suitcase in tow. They were probably giving him last minute instructions. You know, Moses, Moses, be sure and say thank you for everything. Make your bed every morning. Make sure you clean your plate. You know, oh, oh brush your teeth before bed. Don't, don't forget to say your prayers every day. Friends, his parents marked him. They marked him. You know, I, I look around this church, and we have amazing kids. If you, if you haven't figured that out, just get down on your knees and talk to these kids. They are just amazing. And it just blows me away when, when I'm sitting talking to them, I find myself thinking about one of a couple things when, I, when I'm just sitting there listening to them. One, I'll, I'll talk to a kid and I, I can sense their excitement. You know, their excitement for life and excitement and love for God and the church. And inside, I'm just going, yay God, yay God, yay mom, yay dad. I try and catch parents and go, you know what, I had this off the chart conversation with your five-year-old or your eight-year-old or whatever and and I find my mind wondering what's God going to do in and through them and then other times I find myself wondering are their parents going to mark them you know are their parents going to give them the greatest gift that they can give them and that's a foundation of faith There's nothing more important. There's nothing that will last longer. I don't care what else you accomplish in this world. Here's what I figured out. You could earn millions. You could be at the top of the heap and have every toy and trinket imaginable. You could have everything. But if you fail to mark your kids, trust me on this, you will be sitting in that corner office. You'll be sitting on the deck of that mansion overlooking the Mediterranean Sea And you'll be thinking, I blew it. I blew it. I spent so much time chasing all this stuff, making sure my kids got in the right private school and the right college, worrying about soccer and aerobics and parties and social life and all this stuff. But then you'll think, what was I thinking? Don't miss the opportunity. Don't miss the opportunity to build lasting stuff into your kids' lives, to your grandkids' lives. Moses, Moses makes a decision at a very pivotal point in his life. It says, Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. That's huge. That's a huge statement. It's gigantic. Moses, Moses, he's in line to be the next Pharaoh of Egypt. Most powerful position in the entire world at that time. He had so much wealth, he couldn't have spent it all if he'd have tried. And friends, I want to tell you, that would have been alluring. It was a well, well disguised situation. But Moses, Moses kind of checked the wardrobes out, I think. And he didn't trade in the wardrobe that his mom and dad that had raised him to the point that he was five. He said, that's the wardrobe I want. See, they'd marked him. They'd marked him. 
Moses decides to choose God as his king. He decides he's going to go God's way. And I'll bet you that his parents, when, when he was older, and he's making these decisions, I think Moses' parents, as they were sitting out in that little village watching their son grow up in the palace, I think they were cheering. I think they watched him as he made decisions to not go the way of the world, that he wasn't going to do the easy thing, but he was going to do the right thing. I think in their spirits they go, the sacrifice, it was worth it. The hard work, it was worth it. Isn't that what you want? Isn't that what you want in life? I mean... We want our kids to grow up, and when they're away from us, when they're grown, we want them to make good decisions. We want them to make godly decisions, and that's exactly what Moses did. You know, Moses attended the university, probably University of Egypt or something like that, and we know he studied, he studied mathematics and hieroglyphics and astronomy and chemistry, and I guarantee you he was the big man on campus. All of his peers were like, yo, Moses, you're the man. You're the man. Way to go, Moses. You know, throne's going to be yours someday. Imagine his close friends are like, chill out, Moses. Come on, just hang out. Don't worry about things. Someday you'll be in charge. Someday you can right the wrongs and you can make a difference. But right now, just enjoy yourself. Chill out. Just cruise for the time being. It'll be okay. Now I bet I bet Pharaoh, I bet he pressed Moses. Moses? Moses, what are you thinking? You to turn your back on all of this? What has gotten into you, son? What are you thinking? Are, are you kidding me? I mean, you'd be dead if we hadn't taken you in. Moses, look what I've given you. Look at all this. All you have to do, you can have anything you want. Snap your fingers, people jump. Don't you like that Ferrari chariot we got you? <sighs> Are you really going to turn your back on all this, Moses? Can you feel that tension? I mean, Moses' Egyptian parents, they gave him affluence. But his Hebrew parents, they gave him influence. You know, his Egyptian parents, they had resources, but his Hebrew parents, they gave him relationships. Egyptian parents gave him things that were fleeting, but his Hebrew parents gave him things that would last. It's a tough question, but parents are your marking, your children. Do you know what the best translation of the Bible is for kids? I mean, there's some great translations out there. I use the New Revised Standard a lot. I like the American Standard. I like the New International Standard. But the best translation of Scripture, the easiest for kids to understand, is Scripture that parents translate into their life. Are you doing that? Are you doing that? Are you committed to the task? Are you marking your children? Baby love, not only models, not only marks, but friends, it matures. It matures. Are you maturing in your faith?
Are you maturing in your faith? Moses' parents matured in their faith. You know, how do I know that? Deuteronomy, the sixth chapter. Moses, he, he writes these words. And he writes them late in his life. After his parents have modeled faith for him, they've marked him with faith, they've matured in faith, they've helped him grow in faith. And this is just speculation, but I think as Moses was pinning these words, I think flashes, those pictures, click, 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 those flashes are going through his head of everything that his mom and dad had done for him. And he writes these words, And you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your might. And these words which I'm commanding you today shall be on your hearts and you shall teach them diligently to your sons and daughters. And you shall talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. Lifestyle. It's a lifestyle of faith. Hear this. You do not mature in your faith. Mom, dad, grandma, grandpa. You do not mature in your faith by picking and choosing where faith is important to you. You know, that kind of thing where you go, oh, faith's really important here. Uh man, that's going to be hard. That's tough. I think I'm going to do my own thing. Faith's not that important here. You know, we slice and dice our life up. Friends, you mature by integrating faith into every area of your life, every single area. You don't don't mature by acting one way at church and another way at home. You know, I I have to laugh a little bit. I'll hear people go, now we're not going to act like that at church. We're not going to talk like that at church. And I'm thinking, what are you saying? It's okay elsewhere? Friends, as you mature, you find that faith begins to bump into and affect everything in your life. Every assessment, every decision, every goal, every relationship. And as faith matures, it affects more and more and more until one day it's permeated absolutely everything in your life because that's how it's supposed to be. Now, real quick, a couple things you can do. You want to mature in your faith? One, spend time with God on a daily basis. David talked about that last week. One of the ways, you know, just spending time reading God's word. Spend time talking and sharing with God. You know, spend time praying just a few minutes, not hours, a few minutes each day. Just just lift it up to God. Let God know what's going on. Listen. Second thing, connect with other Christian parents. You know, people maybe you serve with in ministry, people that maybe you talk to out in the commons. Uh, You know, get in a small group. Build relationships with other Christian parents, parents that have kids the same age as your kids, parents that have already raised their children. Learn from them. Listen to them. Be an encouragement to each other. Be a support system. The third thing, just get plugged into a local church. You know, attend regularly. 
You know, if faith fellowships at home church, great. If this isn't it, find a church and plug in and be there on a regular basis. In other words, you should be at church a lot more than you're not at church. Make a commitment. Be, that will help you mature in, in your faith. So one more time, I'm going to ask, parents, are you modeling for your kids? Are you marking your kids? And are you maturing? Because I believe when you do that, it makes all the difference. I mean, who knows? You just might, in your house, have a Moses. Seriously, a little girl, little gal that is going to rock this world. God's given you a responsibility. I think it all starts with baby love. Saying, you know what? I'm going to model, I'm going to mark them, and I'm going to mature and let God, through faith, do what he needs to do. Let's bow in a word of prayer. Our holy God, God, we praise you. God, we thank you. We thank you for the example of these amazing parents. God, I pray that every parent here, every grandparent, that we would realize that you have put us in the moment to make a difference. God, help us to be the parents, the grandparents that you created us to be. God, help us to be the people that you've created us to be. God, I pray when we lay it down at the end of this life that we've been faithful to that task. God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for every opportunity. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.